There are many moments in the Hajj which require a pilgrim to form their present by suspending a linear understanding of time and space. Moving in circles around the house of God, the pilgrim is reminded that the present moment is marvelously connected in seen and unseen ways with other times and places in the past and future. There is the dawning of the ihram and being reminded of a primordial deen al-fitra, the circling of the Kaaba or the ancient house of God built by Adam and Abraham, the performing of the sa'i and retracing the steps of hajar, and of course all throughout, walking, moving, and being together in great throngs of people, which, as the Qur'an tells us, we have been in before and will certainly be in again. The Qur'an speaks of days, the day of alastu bi rabbikum, when all humanity took a covenant with God and bore witness to his existence, and the day of hashar, or gathering, the last day, in which all of humanity will be gathered once again to receive divine judgment. In the Hajj, those gathered proclaim the Talbiyah, or Labaik Allahumma Labaik, I answer, O God, I answer, or Here I am, O Lord, here I am, as if to reaffirm the primordial covenant and prepare for the day of reckoning to come. The Hajj is thus like a gathering between two gatherings, an affirmation of what is known and a confirmation of what is certain. To get a better sense of how the Hajj seemingly constitutes a gathering between gatherings, in today's episode we hear from two pilgrims and scholars, Drs. Marcia Hermanson and Jörg Imran Schreuter, who have made minor and major pilgrimages to Mecca and have first-hand experience of what it means to stand in the great crowd together, traversing time and facing God. Marcia is director of the Islamic World Studies Program and professor in the theology department at Loyola University, Chicago, where she teaches courses in Islamic studies and the academic study of religion. Imran is a teacher and university lecturer in Freiburg, Germany, and a scholar of religious education. I asked both our guests to talk about the perception and experience of time in the Hajj. But before we hear from Imran and his Hajj recollections, I want to ask Marcia to give us some insight into the experience of time and space in the Hajj. Thank you, Marcia, for joining us to talk about Hajj and the bending of time and the days of gathering. Oh, great, great uh, to be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, my first question for you, Marcia, is how is the Hajj a gathering between two gatherings? Can you maybe tell us a little bit about the context of these other two large gatherings, at least specifically mentioned in the Quran, the day of Alastu Birabikum and the day of Hashar or the day of gathering? Well, that's a fascinating question, and I never really thought about it that way um, before. And I think, uh, okay, the day of Alastu, the, what is sometimes called the primordial covenant. Uh, so I think you'd like me to take it from the top a bit and explain what that is, right, before oh, yes. we go yes. on. So this is referred to in uh, Quran, Surat Al-A'raf, uh, the um, uh, seven, number seven, seven, 172, which is usually the way that English speakers think by numbers, right? You just shout out the number and people think of it, but <laughs> otherwise um, the surahs have the heights, um, have titles. Um, and it's funny, I'm actually doing a khatam right now. And today would be that ayah would have been coming. So <laughs> coincidence. Um, but this is really um, imagining that day. So, so some, in fact, I actually have an English, I think it's, you know, I will read an English translation um, 
of that day. And there, there's different ones. So let's just go with Yusuf Ali. When thy Lord drew forth from the children of Adam, from their loins their descendants, and made them testify concerning themselves, saying, Am I not your Lord? They said, Yes, we do testify. This, lest you should say on the day of judgment, of this we were never mindful. Now, actually, the way I, and I realized the way that I kind of absorb this idea of the primordial covenant is based on commentaries on this ayah or verse. And the commentaries take this right back to Adam. So there's this kind of back and forth between Adam and the children of Adam, which I suppose you could say is already part of like bending time. You know, how Adam is a prototype and every human being is a prototype of Adam. So you could say, well, from the loins of Adam or from the seed, you know, Luria of Adam, you know, what does that mean? So like a modern, kind of a modern read would be, it's in the human DNA. Okay, so what is in the human DNA um, that we have all experienced the divine? We have all been in the divine presence. All the souls will ever come into existence in a time before time. So already temporality in the Islamic tradition is very fascinating because there is um, azal, azal, the, the, the primordial time, the time before things got, historical time got rolling, right? And then there's abad, there's like pre-eternity and post-eternity, and then history is in between. So uh, in the Eastern religions, many of the Eastern religions, time is kind of circular and repetitive, in the Abrahamic traditions and in kind of modern ways of thinking about time, there's a, a beginning, a um, history, meaningful history, and an end. And then there may be something after the end in a religious standpoint. But in the Islamic tradition, there's also this pre-eternity in which the commentators um, portray this event taking place, the primordial covenant. And it's also a kind of generalizing to all humanity, this relationship, this acknowledgement of the divine, which is why a major trope in Islamic theology is remembrance, vicar. What are we remembering? We're remembering that we already know. We have already seen Allah, we've seen God, and we've acknowledged that. That's like we've pledged, you know, we've pledged, but we forget and we have to be reminded. And you notice that um, even the Quran itself, so you're talking about the, the bookends of the covenant and the hasher, the day of judgment, the Quran itself says, hey, and the day of judgment is coming and you can't really say, hey, we didn't know about this. But, you know, you do know, but you have to be reminded. So Allah and his mercy sends reminders and has placed signs all around us, right? So there are the revealed books to remind us, and there are also the books of nature. But sorry, back to that primordial covenant. Uh, I kind of imag had imagined it, and uh, of course, based on Islamic teachings and on the commentaries, as actually seeing all the souls. So it's not just Adam is there, you know, because it talks about the children of Adam. We are all the children of Adam. So somehow we were all there in some form. Sometimes in Islamic philosophy and mystical philosophy, um, there's a concept, the world of images, you know, kind of think platonic forms. So somehow maybe we were there in some kind of, um, you know, primordial or, um, you know, non-material um, soul-like form, but we were all there. So I kind of imagine all the souls being there and affirming, you know, shouting out, 
Yes, Bala. Yes, you are. Am I not your Lord? Yes, you are. So that's the so that's the first gathering. But you you see now that that the idea of it being a gathering and everybody being there is really an extrapolation, you know, from from the words of the ayah. Um, and then the other uh, gathering is, of course, at the end of that historical time uh, on the Day of Judgment or the Day of Resurrection, uh, when everyone who has ever lived will be summoned. And again, the, myst the mystery, shall we say, of, of how that happens and how people will be um, resurrected and brought forth and somehow stand again, you know, stand again. But this time it's like, yeah, you know, did, did you act? Um, uh, your deeds, you know, will testify for you. So there's all these images of what will happen on that day. But uh, that judgment is based on what we did. And I, th I think you can see embedded in the ayah, you, you, you can't sort of say, well, we didn't know. Um, so, so, but at what level did we know? So somehow it's inherent in us. So those are the two um, gatherings. And that's the, the thing about time, which is a whole, you know, would demand a whole excursus into um, Islamic philosophy of time, because there is that sense that the world, for example, in Ashraite theology, the world is recreated every moment, right? So that sort of linear causal time um, uh, can, can be questioned or deconstructed at some very fundamental level because there's always this understanding that, no, this is already, you know, this is kind of already there. This has already been. And yet there is a meaning in the moment. You know, there is a meaning um, and, and there is a, a, at least a sense of choice in the moment. Um, and then at, at some point we are going to return to that eternal moment again. In this series, I mean, in this podcast, we've really talked repeatedly about how the Hajj is kind of a unique pillar and why it's consistently involving a gathering. The other pillars can often be, you know, done alone or discreetly, but the Hajj really can't be done discreetly. It has to be this gathering. So how, I mean, why do you, does the Hajj, is it important that the Hajj remind us of these days? Is, is that part of what's happening in the Hajj? And if so, how does the Hajj remind us of, of these two? We're using the word day, but as you said, in this very, um, with this Muslim understanding of time as a, as a day beyond a day. So how does the Hajj sort of, um, the pilgrimage to Hajj remind us of these days, these two bookend days? Well, I mean, you're talking about days, and all of a sudden I'm thinking about all the, you know, this the expression "I am Allah" in the Quran, the days of Allah, which is um, the meaning of sacred history, right? So, a, a powerful theme in the Abrahamic traditions is um, time is not just a random unrolling of events, but um, but we see the divine hand, and we see. Um, uh, the divine purpose and and meaning um, uh, in in those events, and of course the other thing is that days are those days are rather flexible, right? Like days or years, or you know, there's this um, expansion, um, uh, expansive possibility uh, of of temporality. Uh, but I would say, and I'm kind of I'm doing this on the wing. Um, but what your interesting question has provoked in me is kind of thinking about the the Hajj is um, reenacting, and I'm not sure if there are. Maybe I'm thinking. You know, the, uh, certainly um, I think it's unique among the major uh, Islamic rituals in actually reenacting historical events, which are of course those uh, tied. Uh, to the account of Ibrahim, uh, peace be upon him. And people are actually reenacting 
some of those um, events in an embodied way, almost like performing them or redoing them. So casting the stones at the shaitan uh, as Ibrahim, Abraham and his son did, like actually doing that. So then, okay, are what does it mean to reenact? You know, what, do, what does it mean to sort of um, evoke that time by, uh, by redoing it? Um, and, and of course, um, uh, one is also reenacting the feminine uh, in the ritual of uh, going back and forth between a Safa and a Marwa, those two hillocks um, near the Kaaba, and that is what uh, Hajar or Hagar did when she was searching for water. And of course, some can, more recent Muslim commentators, I'm thinking of Ali Shariati, you know, the Iranian thinker, who really um, uh, spoke about this symbolism of Hajar, this kind of rejected, um, uh, marginalized, um, uh, and uh, perhaps woman of color who becomes the one that re we are all male, female, you know, no matter who is reenacting um, what she did. Um, but in any case, that sort of historicity of the Hajj and that uh, element of reenacting a specific historical uh, event, I think there's something important there um, for us to understand about time and temporality. Yeah, as you're speaking, I, I immediately thought of, you know, from the beginning, the donning of the ihram, this primordial garment, this, you know, this garment of fitra, as, as it's referred to in the text. And that brings us right back to Alas to Birobikum. And then the... And the ihram is also, many people like to be buried in their ihrams, right? It's also, it's a great leveler. So this this sense that the hasher the the um, the day of judgment that gathering, um, the way it's described in in the Quran, I mean it's it's, it's your your ego your personal identity, um, yes you're responsible for what you did and yet at the same time you can't sort of call up any of those things that you did in your worldly life you know your credentials your wealth your power you are just absolutely all dressed the same way and leveled. So, of course, there's a lot of um, commentary on, on the Hajj in a contemporary sense that, hey, everybody is leveled by wearing the ihram. Um, and, and in a sense, that is rather disorienting for us, even in our ego embodied state as we are today. But imagine on Judgment Day, when you know we're much more disoriented <laughs> so there is you know in ritual theory and religious studies um some elements of the ritual that everybody is doing together so that the hajj is a prototypical um uh example of what's called the ritual cycle perhaps you've heard you know in all the religious studies theory so R victor turner is one of the theorists who's very fam uh, famous on this, but of course he was also building on uh, pre previous work on uh, ritual pa uh, passages, um, rites of passage, yes, Van Gennep, the rites of passage. So the rites of passage involve a change of state and marking that change of state through ritual. So first of all, there, need, there needs to be a separation from what you were and then there's this really interesting state of liminality or being betwixt and between when you're in the transition. And that's very powerful and there's all this energy, but it's also kind of scary because you don't know who you are and nobody else knows who you are. And then there is the coming together at the end of the community, the communitas, right? So ideally the Hajj could, re you break out of your normal state you have all these special rules about, you know, what you should and should not do during the days of the Hajj. Um, you exit the the thing with this symbolic, in, in the case of men, some of them get their heads shaved completely. For females, it's usually just a symbolic, you know, some kind of, 
like you're you're changing what you were in some way and then you come back and there's this kind of effervescence and feeling of solid we did it we're all together now I'm not sure <laughs> on the day of judgment um, that communitas part, you know, because it's not a human society anymore. We are really shifting, <laughs> um, you know, uh, in that fi- final gathering. So, um, so perhaps it's it's s- somehow Hajj is a preparation for the la- of sort of losing. I suppose if somebody were taking a deep, you know, spiritual interpretation, are you really? Um, ready to lose yourself, you know, in in the Hajj, and totally be, um, try to be totally conscious of the divine. And that's that's very, um, very challenging. But you know that so you need to separate from all the things that are familiar. And of course, we moderns want to take more and more of the familiar with us. So medieval Muslims, when they made the Hajj, they definitely paid all their debts and <laughs> took care of their families because they assumed that they were not going to come back because it was so long and arduous and dangerous and there were plagues. And, well, of course, nowadays we have plagues again, but, um, you know, people would have to go by boat and there'd be, more, you know, uh, typhoons and pirates and brigands and um you know it was really really risky and arduous and it was pretty arduous i think up until maybe the 60s <laughs> and then with modernity and development it's like you know luxury hotels and i know folks who have the luxury hodge package and it's like you'll be served three different kinds of gelato in your air-conditioned tent um very different kind of transformation happening there. A very different kind of transformation. And of course, a lot of much younger people, um, because of kind of, you know, economic thing um, that that um, many people can just afford to go on, go on Hajj, you know, in their 30s and kind of, oh, we're going to do this instead of it being like, I better wait, you know, and really because this may be it. Yeah, so I had one last question, really, which is about what the consequences of of all of this really are on on the on the devotee. What what is the consequence of of having time bend this way in the Hajj? What why is it important that that someone be reminded of that circularity within time, of that going from a place to a place again? Um, but as you said, in a very different way, it's not going, it's not a full circle. It's somehow also a line. So why do you think, what, what does it matter that a devotee be, in, be enacting that again? Not just thinking about it, but physically, like you said, embodied action toward understanding this and standing and ending their hajj on the day of Arafah, you know, really in full um, preparation for, for that last day. So what what do you think is the consequence or why is it important that a devotee undergo this sort of rupture to their normative time? Well, well, that's a great question. Um, And and I can only, you know, maybe perhaps speculate about it because it it is, of course, um, very individual. Right. So the purpose of uh, ritual. So we put on the religious studies hat um, and we could say, well, there is a transformation. And uh, there is individual transformation, sort of personal, uh, there's personal status transformation. Uh, there's trans- transformation of, of the society um, uh, through those rituals. So for, you know, wow, if you think about the, the Hajj in Islamic history, I mean, this was a place where, you know, people and scholars from all over the Muslim world gathered and they could share information, and it you know it was sort of the um, an intellectual and spiritual center. Um, so it really was transforming the ummah, shall we say? So so there was that element of shall we say collective transformation. Now, in terms of individual transformation, after all, it's individual. So I think 
um, uh, many Muslims from childhood, you know, learn of the Hajj and aspire to do the Hajj. So I think they really um, are prepared in a certain way for that ritual to work. You know, when the, the, the symbols and the meaning, it's, you know, something that one um, has aspired to for so, for so long that there's a beautiful transformative potential. And by the way, that does kind of link to the, your, your time thread that, you know, from childhood that there, you know, has been this kind of longing which, which is achieved because after all, it's like a, a once in a life, <laughs> you know, once in a life, but it notice that it's not like you have to do it when you're born or you have to do it, you know, it's not keyed to the individual events of the life cycle. It's just like once in a lifetime. So I think that also potentially could could even, um, um, how will I say, make it a special kind of ritual. In other words, it's not a life cycle ritual. It is a life ritual. And because it is a life ritual um, that is done um, at the command of Allah, um, it links that life in some kind of profound way to the day of Allah, to the to the to to the primordial connection with God, and to the eventual return, because after all, we are from Allah, and to Allah we will return, which is part of the time. And 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 the the um, Hajj, I think, does have um, also a theme of returning. You know, a, a theme of returning to the center. So even in terms of sacred space, everybody is assembled around the Kaaba. So wherever you face, there is the face of Allah, right? There is the Qibla. So it's all also, you know, kind of revisioning our, our time and space. So again, back to your question about the individual Muslim, um, there are so, everyone can, can meet that transformation in their own way. Um, so yes, there has been this symbolic, personal, deep longing for the Hajj, perhaps, you know, almost from day one. Um, but then one is finally getting ready to do it. And there may be very intense preparations, right? Like going to Hajj courses and getting your little booklet and trying to do everything right. And then there are some people who just get zapped, right? They weren't even expecting to go on the Hajj. And all of a sudden the door opens, like, and they're just gone, you know, the next day they're going on the Hajj. And that's also part of the mystery, you know, that that whatever is your nasib, whatever is your portion. So you can be like building up and getting ready and, you know, and, and, and then inshallah you, you do it and it's transformative because it's part of that. Or it may just come as a total wow, um, and you just do it. You know, whoever uh, it comes to, it comes to in a unique way. <laughs> Marcia's description of stepping out of normal time for this once-in-a-lifetime journey as a kind of rite of passage or a way of moving forward in one's physical, intellectual, and spiritual growth seems to be one of the key aspects of the experiencing of time in the Hajj. It is truly a break with one's normal rhythm and the entering into, as Marcia put it, the expansive possibilities of time. My friend Imran has shared a very similar experience of time in the Hajj, and I asked him to share with us about his journey to and through the Hajj. So my name is Jörg Imran Schröter. I was born in Freiburg. I'm German origin. My Arabic Islamic name is Imran, and um, I received it when I embraced Islam now over 30 years ago. It was in 1989, and um, only two years later, in 1991, I did the Hajj from Germany on the landway with a bus with around 50 um, Muslim people, men, women, 
even children were with us um, all the way on land from Karlsruhe to Mecca and Medina. So Imran, perhaps we can start, I, we're, you know, in this episode, we're talking about the interplay of time and space in the Hajj, but you've just alluded to this very interesting travel that you've had to the Hajj. Can you tell us a little bit about this by road caravan that you had? Because that's so rare in, in yes, our time to see yes. these days. And it was really uh, an exciting experience because uh, as we are all praying into the direction of the Qibla, we really... Um, on this trip felt like coming closer with every Salah. We were not just praying into this direction, but also driving into this direction. So it was wonderful when we had our first prayers on the way um, in, in Austria. We were in the mountains of Austria praying into the direction of Mecca. And uh, finally, we were praying directly in front of the Kaaba. So this was a wonderful experience. That's remarkable. As you move in your prayer, you move physically with your with your body. Yes. Subhanallah. So how did that how did that make you experience time and space in a different way? How do you feel like the Hajj is a different experiencing of time? Uh, I mean, uh, traveling is always something where the realization of time is uh, different. And um, Hajj is just a very special way of traveling. I mean, it's something like um, added to it. So the, the first experience is the tra experience of traveling. And it is very important in Islam. I mean, it's so interesting how many sources in the Quran and, and also in the Islamic law, they refer to traveling. There's also a wonderful book about it from Anne-Marie Schimmel. Maybe you know it. It's about the, the, um, the aspects of traveling and being on the way in Islam. And um, so added to this general thing of traveling, um, it's, of course, a very special travel. And you feel like it's your whole lifetime. So... Actually, the feeling when I came back, it was like, I don't need to live any longer. I mean, I know I, I just saw everything and it's it's okay and uh, it's wonderful and should be over now. Like a trip is over. Also, this life could have been over. It was a very strange experience, but it, it felt like that. Uh, not that I wanted to die or something, but it felt like, okay, that's it. I've seen everything what life can give you and um, it's it could be over now. Yes. So, I mean, time is always something uh, in realization of death and our fading away. And um, maybe this is why time is felt in a special way, because it's a bit like you are confronted with your own death in form like you are realizing what it means to be alive in regard of our... Um, direction to to god yes to our targeting uh, life of um, being yes focused with our with, with our life i mean it's it's just as we say inna lillahi inna ilahi rajiun so our whole life is like a way back to allah and this is um felt or made obvious in a in a very pre precise way on on hajj so Hajj is like living in returning to God. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a bit mm -hmm. difficult to explain mm -hmm. it in English. It's mm -hmm. uh, not, a, not a simple um, topic that we are talking about. Yeah. But I hope you know what, I'm, what I mean. So um, it's, I mean, you could say that our whole life is like the journey to God. And the Hajj is the very concrete journey to God, to God's mm -hmm. house in Mecca. So this is like um, um, condensed or um, more intensive um, feeling of that. This intensity that you've just mm. alluded to, do, do you feel like that is the special quality of Hajj that makes one think about death and the day of judgment? I mean, is death and the day of judgment something you thought about on your Hajj or coming home from your Hajj? Um, 
you also um, asked me that question beforehand in your email mm -hmm. about how is Hajj um, connected with the feeling of Yom al Qiyama. Mm -hmm. And my first um, impression was no, not at all. Mm -hmm. But then I remembered uh, I had that feeling not inside of the Kaaba, inside of the Kaaba, not inside the Kaaba, but inside of the Kaaba. I didn't have that feeling, not at all. But I had it on Arafah. And as there is the, the Prophet's word, peace be upon him, Al-Hajj Arafah, the Hajj is Arafah actually. So Arafah has very much this impression of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Everybody standing there in this, um, in this area of, of Arafah, um, praying, weeping and, and, and all that. So this, this had that uh, Yawm Al-Qiyamah experience. But the, the sight of the Kaaba is something completely else. I mean, I didn't think of, of uh, Yom Al-Qiyama or something else. It was just like, um, you, we, we all, I think we all saw so many pictures of the Kaaba that you think you know what she is looking like. Yeah? But uh, if you're really standing in front of her, it's, it's completely different. It's like... Um, it's not like just watching something, but it's also the impression of being seen by someone and to look at some someone living, somebody living or something living, something alive. It's not just looking at, like you look on the Kaaba as when you see a picture of it. Yes. And um, I think this this could make for some moments on this hajj, the feeling of being in a presence. And this feeling of being in, in a presence here and now, this is also what changes the awareness of time, of course. Mm -hmm. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about your experience of the crowd, of this gigantic gathering, this throngs of people, for you that started in the bus, and how it just got bigger and bigger. And what was your experience of, of the crowd, as you described in the Kaaba, in and around the Haram, and also on Arafah? What was the experience of the crowd? Um, as I remember, in 1991, it was uh, Hajj al-Akbar, as you say, when Arafah is on a Friday. And there were really many, many pilgrims there in that year because it was also the first year the uh, Iranians were again allowed after a period of maybe, I think, 10 or 15 years. Um, so it was a special hajj in, in that regard. And I think that time there were, there were about 2 million, um, million or is it billion in English? I always mix that up. So millionen, zwei millionen. Yeah, I think mil million. million. Yes. Um, so... It was crowded, but um, it never felt that way. And maybe this is also something individually, but uh, for me it was important to to make this hutch by myself. I mean, to 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 be at my experience and not a um, a crowd experience. Like for example, some of us. When we came there and we did the tawaf, um, some of them, some of our group, they stay, they, they stood together and did that tawaf together. But that was not, that was not for me. I wanted to do it by myself to really to be, yes, to, to, to feel the whole thing and, and to be aware in that moment and not to be with others. Yeah, so this may be also an individual, uh, thing but um, of course you are in an in an, in a huge crowd but in a special way you are very much with yourself not caring too much about others yes mm -hmm. is the hajj in in that sense in your experience is it a social or is it a lonely experience so yes, this is maybe the two sides. So for, I would say for the, for the own spiritual understanding of the whole thing, it's, it's more 
um, yes, by myself individually. But the aspect of not being alone, but to be with this aloneness amongst others, yes, this is a wonderful experience. And um, of course, it's also a social thing, because apart from that spiritual uh, level, you just see and meet and also speak to Muslim uh, um, brothers from all over the world. And it's a wonderful um, recognition also of the different styles and types and characteristics and also colors. There were many African people, ladies, African ladies with wonderful colored uh, um, head coverings and uh, so you can see the different cultures coming together. And I think this is also a very important um, experience on Hajj that you see that Islam has different colors and different cultures and that we are all now gathered together as Muslims, but being different or united with our differences. Yes. Do you think this is the... I mean, what is it about the Hajj that makes it so different from our other you know, Muslim devotions? It's the fifth pillar out of the other four that are, you know, largely individual, largely to yourself, um, often in communal, but mostly on your own. But this is the one that is intentionally, purposefully as part of a gathering. And why do you think, in your experience, why is the, why is the gathering so essential to this experience? Or how is the gathering so essential to this experience? I mean, uh, actually, it is really interesting for me personally that, for example, the prayer in Jamaa is regarded higher than your prayer in, in solitude. I mean, one could think, or I personally could think, why, if I'm alone, my, my prayer could be more intense than just um, in, in the Jamaat. But That's it's regarded right. the other way around. And this is really interesting to, to think about it. So there is a high respect and a, a high position of um, community in Islam. And you actually, you can't be just Muslim by yourself. I mean, when I embraced Islam, I also embraced a Jamaa. It's not just like, okay, now I'm Muslim and so and uh, it's just for myself. No, it's automatically <clears throat> in Islam is something in regard of, of, the, of the greater community. And um, so it's, it's really interesting to think about this aspect of community. But for me, um, as I wanted to say now, when you mentioned the five pillars of Islam, it seems like for me that... Hajj is also something like uh, very much educational. Yes. So um, uh, I wrote, I even wrote something about it. Maybe you can uh, counter check it. I, I wrote something about the five dimensions of religious commitment from Charles Glock. And they more or less fit perfectly to our five pillars. Yes. Because there's the dimension of some ideology and of course this is the shahada and there's the dimension of some um, also ethical consequences and of course this is zakat and then you can could ask where is this aspect of education yes and intellectual approach and hajj must be an intellectual approach because you have to learn about the holy sites even part of the hajj righteous is connected with the very old stories of abraham and and you have to to, to know all this, yes. And the other thing that is quite pedagogical is this meeting with all the others, all the other Muslims from foreign countries. So this is education, this is meeting people, this is understanding your own uh, or reflecting on your own cultural background and, and, and how you know Islam in your country and now uh, maybe your, your picture is... Uh, uh, sharpened or changed by by visiting or by, by realizing other um, communities from far away, maybe Asian countries and so on. So I think Hajj is really, first of all, an educational thing. Yeah, And this education is um, takes place in the community. Yeah? And, and also know from, for example, from the elder generation, like... Um, 
the parents of my wife in, in Morocco, for example, where they did Hajj more than once. And it was always for them, oh, and there we met this, and there we saw that, and there we 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 were astonished by this and that. So they they learned so much about Islam. Yeah. So this aspect of learning, I think, is is really we have to uh, to to realize. Yeah. Thank you so much, Imran. That was such a beautiful uh, telling of your experience. Um, I mean, that's all the questions I have. It, I usually ask everybody at the end if they have any other thing they'd like to share. If you feel like there's anything from your experience that I, we didn't that I didn't ask you that you feel you would like to share, we would be delighted to hear it. Yeah, actually, it's it's difficult to stop now because you, <laughs> you know, all, the, all these the... <laughs> you unlocked the the memories and. Um, it was very special, and and actually, I must tell you that I somehow fear to do Hajj again, mm. because things really changed. I mean, we were still located in 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 Medina, for example, in one of the very old houses, like this Arabic style houses with the wooden yes. fronts and so on. This is all uh, gone, and um, and now all this 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 skyscraper silhouette in in Mecca. Um, this is not what I saw and I, I don't know if I like to see it because uh, I remember that moment when I was on the uh, after the Hajj righteous when you already when you again wear your regular clothes mm -hmm. and you again make the tawaf to the farewell tawaf and then it was full full moon yes because then it is the 10th Arafat and so on full moon and this side with the black carpet and the white moon and the dark blue sky and this, I mean, it was a wonderful experience, also aesthetical, highly uh, sensual experience. And and I want to, I don't like to see the clock tower then in that moment, yes, uh, because I'm not interested in what time is it now, as we just talked about the aspect of time, is very important to lose the sense of time, because it's. Uh, it's an eternal moment out of time. So, uh, yes, I really fear doing again this and then looking up again into the night sky and seeing what time is it. Mm. Yes, it's like what, looking on your watch. I mean, you know that moment. If you look on your watch, it's like disturbing you. Aha, you are in a hurry or uh, you are not concentrated. You are still thinking about something in the future. But this is all what, what holy time shouldn't be. There is no future and there is no past. You are just here in this moment and it's it's all you need. Yeah. Yeah, so you see, we could talk on um, like this for quite a while. <laughs> and, and, and definitely it was very special that we went on Hajj on land. Mm. We, we even drove through Yugoslavia that time. Right. The, the war was already in the air, you could feel it. And on the way back, we couldn't pass Yugoslavia. The war, war already went on and we had right. to take the ship to Italy. So... This this is all an experience that you can't have if you just take the the plane, and you planned uh, shortly two weeks for the whole thing. Um, it's a different approach. Yes, I mean we were two months we were on this trip, and of course we had we visited Damascus for example in, intensely, and also Amman and 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 all wonderful cities also in in in, in Turkey and so on. So. Uh, and it was it was this experience of getting closer and closer, yes, uh, and finally reaching there. It's yes. it's a process, and it's not something like okay, I take the plane and we'll be back soon. <laughs> yes, maybe these days will be with us again, where we can travel safely by by land Inshallah. through all the cities you've mentioned. Inshallah. 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 I mean, it's also a, a famous genre. I don't know uh, how many you read about it, how much you read about it from these uh, Rihla uh, journeys. Sure. Uh, um, as I may have mentioned, I wrote my uh, my master thesis about the Rihla of uh, Abu Salim al-Ayyashi, a Moroccan who did this in 1662. Right. And for him, it was a lifetime. It was quite clear that 
he will say farewell almost forever. And um, what the people experienced that time was, of course, even, even much more than I could had the chance to experience. And yes, inshallah, these good times will come again. Imran's recollection of pilgrimage as an enactment of our returning to God, however experienced in a different, more concrete and intensified manner during the Hajj, is a remarkable view into those expansive possibilities alluded to earlier by Marcia. Time really can be experienced as expanding or contracting. And in the Hajj, the proximity to what our two guests have described as the presence of sacredness is what transforms time for pilgrims in the holy cities. The Hajj, as Sheikh Mendes told us in our first episode, is the gathering together of the other four pillars of Islam. And in this sense, it is the pillar that can allow us to obtain even the smallest hints of these ayam Allah, these days of Allah, or time in its most expansive states. This gives even more meaning to the talbiyah, labbaik, Allahumma labbaik, as a way of traveling back to the primordial covenant and forward to the day of gathering, but also as a way of being in and expanding the present moment where the pilgrim finds his or herself face to face with the Holy Kaaba, with God, and with themselves before God. Thank you once again to our guests today, Marcia and Imran, for the incredibly mesmerizing reflections they shared with us. And Many thanks to all of you for tuning in to this episode of our podcast. Your continued support of Cambridge Muslim College enables us to train the next generation of Muslim thinkers. Please consider making a donation to the college today to ensure we continue this valuable work. And join us next when we journey to a place unlike any other place, the Kaaba. <laughs>